Um, just, just as a, uh, you know, whatever, uh, choir sounded really good. I don't know if y'all noticed that choir sounds really, really good and the choir loft is looking fuller and I bet if a couple of y'all wanted to join them, they'd put them over 20 every week and every little bit, it just looks better and sounds better and it's getting better. And I'm telling you what son music at this place ain't bad. Open your Bibles to Philippians one and by not bad, I mean real good. So don't go home and We'll talk about that in a minute anyway. Philippians chapter one. I'm praying today will not be like I did a funeral on Friday. And uh, the story was told of the lady that uh, passed away. She was beginning to get uh, Alzheimer's. And they were continuing to carry her to church as long as they could, which is what you want to do. And I'm not speaking out of turn because I told this story there as well. She, uh, in, in, in one of the last services she attended, I guess the preacher just wasn't quite hitting the mark. And in the middle of the service, she went, I wish the preacher would hurry up and shut up. Okay, I'm hoping this is not one of those days for you. But if it is, just keep it to yourself. It'll be fine. It'll all be good. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 sounded like she was a delightful lady, I'm telling you right now. Philippians 1, begin with the 27th verse, we're going to chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, Paul says, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life, <clears throat> one more time, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ, then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And Father, I pray this morning that we would hear your word, that I pray, Father, your spirit would stir in us and remind us of the mighty grace that has called us to be where we are, that we could be honest with ourselves this morning, that we could look through our past and see the hand of Jesus as you have guided us to grow us and to make us more like you every day. I pray, Father, that your spirit would stir in somebody's heart to remind them of the relationship that they have with you, and I pray for someone, Lord, that you would call them into that relationship for the first time. There is nothing greater than to know the powerful name of Jesus. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Whoever divided the Bible into chapters and verses, when he got to chapter 2 of Philippians, divided a sentence right in the very middle. Y'all know that Paul didn't write it that way, right? He didn't write chapter 2, verse 1 and start. Somebody added all that stuff later to make it a little easier for us when we study and do the things that we do. But he broke it right in the middle of a sentence. 
And that second part of the second verse starts with the words, make my joy complete. Paul's telling the church, y'all, make my joy complete. And this is how to do it, he says. Now, y'all remember, just catch us up real quick. Philippians, he started the Philippian church. He was the, the founding pastor of the Philippian church. He grew those people up. He told them who Jesus was. He helped them to understand that their mission was to share the gospel, that their mission, that everything they did surrounded Christ, was centered on Christ. And so when something good happened in that church, it made him feel really good. But when something wasn't going like he thought it should go in the church, that made him feel really bad. He felt responsible. Even though he hadn't been to that church in a long, long time, he felt responsible. He loved those people. He loved that place. He loved the body that they had become. They had, he had high hopes for that church that they would preach the gospel and make a difference in the community that they lived in. That was his thing. That's what Paul wanted. Folks, that's real. And we're not going to dwell on this for a long time because it feels self-serving when I say that, when I talk about this, but I want you to understand, a commentator said that a minister's well-being is always tied to the unity and the growth of the church. A minister's well-being is always tied to the unity and the growth of the church, and he wasn't kidding. When I'm out in the community and people say good things about First Baptist Church, you know, I put on that preacher exterior, that little preacher face and try, well, thank you very much. We're trying to do our best. You know, we're for Jones County, yada, yada, yada. And on the inside, I'm going, yes, we are doing it. I'm telling you, it makes you want to blow up inside like a proud parent. Yes, sirree, Bob. That's my kids. They're doing good. That's the way you feel on the inside. On the flip side of that coin is criticism stings really, really bad. It hurts. And we've had a couple of criticisms come from the community in the last couple of days. I've discussed it with some of our deacons, one of the little criticisms we got. And, and I'm sitting there listening to people and what they're saying about us. And I'm going, you don't know us. You have no clue who you're talking about. You need to meet us. We are people who want to find Jesus and give Jesus away. We are people who are compassionate and caring. You don't know us. And let me say this about that, because I want, I, want I want us to not help them criticize us. I understand perfectly that every Sunday we have 350-ish people that come to church here. Somebody's going to go home mad. Somebody's going to go home mad. Somebody didn't speak to you. Somebody didn't do something you thought they were supposed to do. The temperature was too hot. The temperature was too cold. The sanctuary was too light. The sanctuary was too dark. You went to your Sunday school room. It wasn't right. The teacher didn't. Somebody's going to go home mad because there's that many people. And it just happens. And when you go home mad, you grumble. When you grumble, be careful about your grumbling. I tell couples in premarital counseling that when, when you have a fight with your spouse, do not call mom and daddy. Don't you call your mom and daddy. Don't you even think about calling your mom and your daddy because here's the deal. You're going to vomit all over your mama. 
You're going to call your mama and you're going to talk about that person you married and they are the biggest jerk on the face of this planet. And I don't know why I married them. It's the biggest mistake I ever made. You won't believe what a horse's patoot they are. Mama, let me tell you all the things they did. And then you get all of that stuff, all that vile and all that venom out of your system. And then you go back and you and hubby kiss and make up and get all lovey-dovey and do all the things you do. And mama's still scraping vomit off. And mama's still thinking that the man that you married is a pig and ought to die. And daddies are thinking that he's a pig and that I ought to kill him. When we complain about the church to people outside the church and to non-Christians, what do you think that's doing? It's reinforcing an image that those folks have in their mind already. They ain't on our team they don't understand, they don't know. They have an idea of what the church is all about. They have a master who is telling them the church is a horrible place and we're out there complaining about something that probably doesn't amount to a hill of spit in the hot summer sun and it just feeds into that with them. Be careful with your complaining. I'm not saying don't complain. It would be good if you didn't. Paul tells us to be of one mind. It'd be good if you didn't, but you know what? I go home sometimes and complain. It's just the way it is. Be careful about it. When you are in Ingalls, when you are in Ace, when you are in Harvey's, when you're in the drugstore, people can hear you on the other side of the aisle. So if you're talking to a church member and you're talking bad about the church, people all around you can hear. I got a, I got a clue for some of you because some people don't know this. When you're, on your, you're, when you're on your cell phone in public, we can hear you. We really can and you're in this conversation all wrapped up talking about it like all, we're all oblivious to it. And how dare you eavesdrop on my conversation. You're standing right there and I can hear every word you're saying. It happens that way with everything. All I'm saying, I'm not fussing at you. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm just saying, guys, let's understand when we're talking about the church, let's be very careful because it's the body of Christ and we don't want to be found talking bad about him over something that it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. All right? He's talking about um, making my joy complete. Making my joy complete. What will make our joy complete? What will make Paul's joy complete? Consider what he says in verse 27 of chapter 1. He says, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is probably, maybe, the last Sunday that I'm going to do this. I'm not sure. But I, this one point just keeps getting hammered in my head. If I was smart, I would take you down the road about live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. I'm sure we could come up with four or five real good bullet points there. But I want to start at the front end of that statement. He says, as citizens of heaven. As citizens of heaven, people, we don't belong here. We don't belong here. This is not our home. We are sojourners. A sojourner is a person who resides temporarily in one place. I had the opportunity this week to talk to a couple of people who are lifelong residents of Jones County. Do you know how you can recognize a lifelong resident of Jones County? Ask them for directions. Ask them for directions. How do I get to so-and-so? And they'll say, well, go down to old so-and-so's house and turn left, and it'll be down the road on the left for a little bit. And you have to think for a minute, old so-and-so's house? 
Who's old so-and-so? Oh, they died 20 years ago. The house has sold four times since then, but that's old so-and-so's house that you're going to turn by. Been here all their lives. This is their place. We are, this is, this is our home, and this is my home. I mean, we've, I've moved all over the place, but this is my home. This is where we chose to be. This is our place, but this is not my home. This is just a, 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 a path on the road that I'm on. This is not where I live. I am not a citizen here. I am a citizen in heaven. We're just passing through. Do you all remember what we studied in the book of Ephesians where Paul said this? But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Did you hear future tense there? That he will raise us up? That we will be seated? There's no future tense there. That's past tense. He is saying to us that when Jesus was in the grave, we were in the grave. When Jesus was resurrected, we were resurrected. When Jesus went to the right hand of the Father, we went to the right hand of the Father because we are in Christ. We are citizens of heaven. We are not citizens here. So the things that we see and the things that we hear that confuse us, I think my wife worries about me sometimes because I can't understand things about people. I don't get it. And then I have to lean back and go, the reason I don't get it is because they have a different master than I've got. We are on a different wavelength. We've got different worldviews, to use a good uh, church kind of word. We're... The things that you see people say on television, the things you hear people say on television, the things that you see people do on television that you lean back and go, how in the world are they doing that? It's because they're in the world. That their master is a different master from yours. That their home is a different home than yours. If you are a good citizen of heaven, you'll be a good citizen here. What was the greatest commandment? Love God with everything you got. What's the second like it? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two, you got this thing covered. You're a good citizen here. But if you try to be a good citizen here, you're going to be a lousy citizen up there. Because the master of this world is a different master altogether. He doesn't speak our language. He wants something else. And since we're citizens of heaven, we need to act like citizens of heaven. Paul says, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word rendered your life is the word for citizenship. He's saying, be a citizen of heaven worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now here's the point, and you're going to go, why are we saying this again? Why are we thinking about this again? Randy, you've said this probably four weeks in a row now. Why do you keep repeating the same thing? Okay, if I've repeated it that many times, then maybe there's something here we need to hear. Then maybe there's something here that we need to dig into. Maybe we need to listen just a little bit. Where did we get this citizenship? How did we get this citizenship? He says in verse 29, for it has been granted to you. It has been granted to you. Understand? It has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him. Now stop right there. We're going to deal with the rest of it in a minute. Not only to believe in him, he says. Now ponder for a minute. The word granted, the root word for the word granted is grace. 
grace. Do y'all remember Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? For it is by grace, it is by, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is God's gift, not from your works, so that no one can boast. You were saved by grace through faith. Do you see the, the word order that's here? Well, Randy, I prayed a prayer in a church. I don't care what you did. Well, I came forward. I don't care what you did. I got this. doesn't matter what you did. You didn't do anything until grace came first. Grace opened your eyes first. God opened your eyes first. God loved you first. The faith part of it, well, I had to do. You couldn't do until he did. Do you understand? We didn't know what we didn't know until he showed us what we didn't know. And what we didn't know was him. We didn't look for God until God showed us that we needed to look for him. And we knew, we knew our lives were missing a relationship. We knew we were missing a relationship. Not a thing, but a relationship. We just didn't know who that relationship was supposed to be with. Y'all try to follow me, because this is weird. I had a theophany yesterday. Theophany, I met God. I truly believe, I truly believe that's what this experience was. I was going to, uh, uh, mom came home from the rehab yesterday. We took her back to her house. That's good, y'all keep praying for her, because it's going to be a while before she gets any close, anywhere close to where she was before she went. But on the way up there, I use Google Maps. I, I know how to get there, but I like to use Google Maps for this very reason. Google Maps realized that I-75 had road work going on and that the traffic was backed way up. See, I got my first job with IBM in 1979, and when I got that job, they were working on the interstate, and they have not stopped in Atlanta, they have been working on it at least since 1979. They were working again, had lanes closed, traffic was backed up, and Google told me that I needed to go up US 41. So I went up US 41. It got me off of I-285 at the Galleria Complex, at Cumberland Mall. That's my old stomping ground. Used to uh, when I would go on a date and I had no money, we would go to Cumberland Mall and we'd just wander around the mall. Every now and then we'd buy a sandwich from this place up there. Yeah, I thought it was a great date. I mean, she never complained. She didn't marry me. <laughs> Strangely enough, we never wandered around a mall. I don't know how it all worked out. I guess I got smarter as time went on. But, but that's what we did. This was my stomping grounds. I turned left. I head up the hill. On the right-hand side was a clothing store where my best friend sold me all my suits. It doesn't exist anymore. The Waffle House, where I would eat at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning, was still there. Going up the hill and the restaurant that I used to love, it's torn down and it's gone and it's a title pond store now. And then we went on up and on the right-hand side was a little nine-hole golf course that we used to play golf on. Uh, you know, a little nine-hole, par 27 little thing. over. They, it's gone, man. They sold that. I bet whoever sold that property made millions of dollars off of that property up there. And as I'm driving up the road, the strangest thing occurred to me. The feelings that I had when I was there, I was 21 years old. That's a long time ago. The feelings that I had all came back to me. And the, the, the things, the experiences that we were doing then 
all of this stuff starts coming to me as I'm driving up the road. And God led me to realize in that moment that he had me on a path then and I had no clue that he was working in my life. See, we had a little reorganization in my job that moved me from, Atlanta, from that place in Marietta to midtown Atlanta. I didn't have a choice. I mean, it was either go or not work there anymore, and I wanted to work for IBM. So he moved me. And it, and it dawned on me as I was driving up, he made it abundantly clear to me that if I had stayed in that place, that I would have missed so much in life I would have missed so much of his grace and so much of his mercy and so much of the love that he's put into my life over all these years. I didn't know that's what he was doing. I just thought I was being moved to another location. See, folks, he's working. If we are his children, he's working in our lives all the time. And what I'm asking you to do because of my little story is I want you to look back at your life. Some of you got a long way to look. You got a lot to look at. Look way back. Look way back. And start seeing how the pieces fit together. And you'll say, well, Randy, I've done that before. Do it again. And understand that those things were done by a God who loved you so much that he gave up everything for you. He gave up life. He died on a cross for you. So that that could happen for you. And I think that, that until we grab hold of that, until we understand what grace was involved and what he has done for us, I don't think a revival can come. I don't think we can have a revival. I don't think the United States can have a great awakening until the people of God understand the treasure that has been laid into our hands, the treasure that was given to us when we didn't even have a clue that he was doing it. Do you understand? I want you to see that we were created by the one true and living almighty God to live in a relationship with God. That we were created to live in a place like Eden where we had that relationship to him. But we couldn't do that because we chose to revolt against him. We wanted to make ourselves special. We wanted to know right from wrong. We wanted to be wise in our own eyes. We wanted the things that we thought would make us happy. And we didn't understand that in our wisdom we were making it worse and worse and worse and worse. We were separating ourselves further and further from him until we all became a hot mess. Every last one of us. And see, here's the killer about this thing. is that it's every one of us. Every last one of us. I was listening to a podcast on the way up there, and the guy was talking about a very famous Christian. I won't call his name because I wanna, I'm thinking it's this guy, but I'm thinking it's that guy, and I don't want to misquote him. But what he said was this. Great Christian, everybody's listened to him. He says, if everybody knew what was in my mind, I wouldn't have four friends left in this world. Because he knew the darkness that was hiding inside of him. And yet, God's unmerited kindness, his unmerited compassion, we did nothing to deserve it. While we were still sinners, 
God in his infinite compassion looked on us with favor, with kindness and compassion and granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, he says. You were chosen for the team before you ever realized you wanted to be on the team. God spoke our names. He showed us who he was. He reached out to us and he said, follow me. And you know what? Think, Think about what we've done when he said, follow me. We followed him just like the apostles did. Do you realize that? You didn't know where he was going. You had no clue where he was going to take you. But if he said, follow me, and you said, I will follow you wherever you go, then he took you wherever he wanted you to go, where you are right now. He brought you here. We followed him. We simply knew in our hearts that we had heard the voice of the one that made our hearts leap and we knew and we don't know how we knew but we knew that with Jesus we would never be rejected again ever that we were always accepted that we are his and nothing can separate us that is grace that's grace For it has been granted, it has been grace to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to, let me help you understand something about God. He don't know nothing about marketing. I know he knows everything about everything, but I'm telling you right now, his marketing strategy stinks right here. Because you hear what he's saying here? Do you hear what he's about to say? He says that it has been granted It has been granted on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And he paints that as a good thing. That suffering for him is a good thing. And we've got a level set on this suffering thing. Because we've got, we're Americans and we got a whack idea when it comes to suffering. See, when he's talking about suffering here, my mom suffered when her femur split. And she had to have that hip replacement taken out and another hip replacement put in. She suffered. When a number of people in our congregation right now are suffering various forms of cancer, and a couple of them are very, very life-threatening forms of cancer, we have all kinds of physical suffering. We have mental suffering, emotional suffering. We have difficult children, problem marriages, debt, sickness, general everyday stress. None of that is suffering for Jesus. None of that is suffering for Jesus. Now as you suffer through that, you can witness for Jesus, but that is not taking up your cross and following him. That is living in a world that has fallen and full of sin, which brought death and disease into that world, into this world, and that's what we are afflicted with because we're of the human condition. That is not suffering for Jesus. Suffering for Jesus is when we speak his name and we get negative something because of it. Now let me say this about that. Unless the Lord is gracious and grants a revival in his church and an awakening in his nation, suffering is coming. Don't you yawn at me. Suffering is coming. They hate Jesus. You you don't have to have a PhD to understand this. 
See, there are two masters at work. There's the master of those that are citizens of heaven, and there's the master of the earth. And the master of the earth hates Jesus and has hated him for a long, long time. And let me help you understand something. We are going to have to make decisions that we never thought we were going to have to make. And we're talking first world right now. We'll get to the third world in just a second. This is first world stuff. You are going to be confronted on your job. You're going to be confronted on your job at some point with something that you're going to have to stand up and say, that's wrong and I can't play. You're going to have to leave a company that feeds your family because of what of, of the immorality that that company's involved with. You're going to have to leave a company that feeds your family because of the immorality that they're going to ask you to participate in. That's coming. I promise you that's coming. You're going to miss out on promotions. You're going to miss out on pay raises. You're going to miss out on the meeting notices. Oh, y'all had a meeting? I didn't get the invitation. You're not going to. These things are going to happen. And it's going to happen because we believe in a man named Jesus. And that's what's going to happen. But see, that's first world stuff. That's America. And that's why we look at that and say, ooh, we'll be suffering for Jesus. Every day across the world, 30 people, give or take a few, are executed because of Christ. Executed, killed because of Christ. Randy, do you think it'll ever come that way here? I have no clue. If the book of Revelation is true, sure enough, it'll come. I'm hoping that it's way off in the distance. I hope our children don't have to do it and our children's children don't have to do it. But you know what? One of these days, our progeny could be one generation or 50 generations are going to go through that for a fact. It's coming. And you, me, us, we will not be able to stand through that unless we understand the anchor that holds us, the rock that we stand on. That's why I keep ha hammering in this thing. Please remember where your salvation came from. Please remember what's been done for you. Please remember who's changed you, who you were before and who you are now. Please remember these things. Paul's encouragement, it's a strange encouragement. He says, not being frightened in any way by your opponents, this is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. This is from God. So I'm standing here in front of these people who can remove me from from livelihood can cause me and my, my, my family all kinds of pain and I'm going to stand there going, well, that's okay because this is from God and you're going to be doomed. I understand the thought behind it. That's going to be hard if you're not anchored on the rock. It's going to be difficult to stand on if we don't have our heads wrapped around the fact that we were saved by grace. We don't understand suffering. We don't understand what we've been called to. Y'all know I do not like University of Alabama football. And it bothers some of you, I'm sure. But they are the world champions, the national champions. They are the national champions. That's what it is. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But I want you to think about something. They are the national champions. And I want you to think about 
when, when, when somebody's son is chosen to play, is chosen to play for the University of Alabama football team under the coaching of, what's his name, Saban? No, I like what's his name. What are they getting the opportunity to do? Do they get to just run out on the field and, hey, I'm a national champion? What are they called to do? Well, they're given the opportunity to come in the hot summer sun in Alabama and, and practice and practice and practice until they've sweat so much they can't sweat anymore, until they hurt so much they can't hurt anymore. They are, they are given the opportunity to work out in a weight room until their body hurts so badly that to make it stop hurting, they give them an ice bath. Do you know what an ice bath is? It's a bath in ice. I was with uh, Elizabeth Golden when she was, uh, she took a scholarship, I forget the school now, to play soccer with them and she was talking to the coach and she said, they were talking about all the, the conditioning routine and he talked about the ice bath and she said, oh, you're, I'm not going to take a bath in ice. He said, oh yeah, you are. If you're going to be on my team because that's the only way we can make you stop hurting after you practice so hard. That's the opportunity that these guys get to do. They get the opportunity to slam their body into other players' bodies with pads and helmets on to experience muscle pulls and strains and cramps and upset stomachs so much that they want to throw up, but they won't throw up because throwing up is a sign of weakness and they don't want to be weak because if they're weak, they don't get to play on the football field with the national champion, Alabama Crimson Tide. That's a football game. We are chosen to be on the team of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You think it's supposed to be sitting in church on Sunday morning and this is the extent of the game? Do you think that being on the team of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords doesn't bring some kind of responsibility with it that we will stand firm in the face of folks that are saying all the things they say about Jesus and that we will struggle and suffer just like a football player except worse? We think when we're saved, it's whoop, all smiles and grins. And he's saying no. That you have, you have been given, you've been graced to not only be saved, but you've been graced to suffer. To suffer for Jesus. And it's a privilege to do so. At First Baptist, we've defined our purpose as to find Jesus and to give Jesus. So I want to do one last thing about finding Jesus for us to remember who it is that saved us got compartments in our heads. All of us do. All of us do. Have our little compartments. I want you to go to your happy place first. I want you to go to that place where you've got the softball trophies and the cheerleading coaches, uh, cheerleading trophies and the gymnastics trophies and all the attaboys you ever got at work and all the pats on the back and all the good stuff that's happened and, and all of the increases that you've got all of the years. And I want you to go to that room first and see that room and enjoy it for a second. But then I want you to go to the other room, the room that only you have a key for, a room where you keep all the stuff that nobody knows. 
You've been married for 50 years and she don't know everything that's in that room. You've been married for 50 years and he doesn't have a clue of everything that you've hidden in that room. And I want you to think about how dark that stuff is in that room. And you know what? It is every last one of us. I don't care who you are. Stand in my face and tell me that you don't have it. And I will sit there and think to myself that you're breaking a commandment. Because we do. Now you think of that darkness, think of that darkness, and then you think of the image of Christ when he was transfigured, says he was transfigured before them and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And think about when Jesus stepped out of this earth and into heaven and the disciples saw him, three disciples saw him, they said he was so bright that no launderer could make him that bright nobody on earth can take your darkness and make it that bright except for one person and that was Jesus who made you and me brand new he chose you to be on the team he chose you to sweat and to work and to grunt and to struggle and to get dirty and to hurt and experience pain. And yet he says in this scripture that you will get encouragement from him. You will get comforted by him. You get to play on the field with other people who are of the same spirit as him. You get to feel the love and the mercy of God on his championship team. It was from darkness you were called into light. You were not worthy, but he chose you anyway. We were not good, but his touch made us brand new. We were not clean, and yet he has washed us so clean that you don't belong here anymore. This is not your home. Our home is in heaven. Stand firm, church. It's going to get ugly. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. And that came from a man who wrote the majority of the New Testament. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I cannot remind folks of what you have done. I don't know where they were. I don't know what you said. I don't know what you brought into their mind and into their heart that made them realize that the relationship they were craving was a relationship with you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will move in each one of our minds and hearts to remind us of who we were, that our first love would be rekindled, that we would be on fire one more time because of a Savior that has saved us. And Lord, that we could hang on to that with all that we have, knowing that life is going to get tougher for us. Already we're seeing a falling away of the church, of folks that came because good people came to church and now you don't have to be a church member to be a good person anymore and so they don't come. We're seeing that. Already, Father, 
We're seeing falling away because of the conviction that you place on our hearts to live worthy of the gospel as a citizen of heaven. Oh Lord, please remind us and please make us strong. Please assure us, Lord, that in that moment, your word tells us that in that moment that we won't know what to say on our own accord, but that the Holy Spirit will give us the right words to say in that moment to give glory to you and to praise your name and make us strong. Lord, we all want that. Those of us that are your children do not want to walk away again from any situation kicking ourselves because we didn't say what we thought we should have said. Father, please make us bold. Bring a revival to your church as we hear your voice again and we know that it's Jesus. And Father, I pray for that person here that is struggling, their heart is screaming that they want a relationship, but they don't know, they don't know. Show them this morning that you've been calling out to them that it is you that they need. Tell them to follow you. And Father, I pray that they would. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have never made the commitment to follow Christ, making a commitment's even the interesting word, you've heard him and you really can't stop yourself. You want to follow him. If you've never taken the step, take the step this morning. You can come down when we're singing. You can come and talk to me after the service is over. It doesn't matter. Come and grab me. If people are talking to me, grab me by the hand, pull me off. It's okay. If you want to join the church and come forward, it's the same drill. But folks, hard times are coming. And we need to be grounded solidly. We don't need a tenuous grasp on who Jesus is. We need to know that we know that we know that we know that he's changed our world. He's changed my life. I'm asking you to look back and see his hand at work and be strengthened by that. To know that he's not going to let go of you now. He that began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. This thing ain't over. I pray that you remember. I pray that you have a moment where you're by yourself like I was in the car and for a few moments couldn't do anything but thank Jesus for rescuing me from that life that I thought I was supposed to be living. I was convinced that's what I was supposed to be. It's what everybody was. And yet he saw to it that I didn't go there. And what was a loss to me became a great gain because it was him. Y'all look for those. You've got them. You've got them. See it in your life. He is real. The risen Lord is real in your life. Please, for a few moments, thank him 
for what he has done for you. Would you stand? Thank you.